Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Episode 21 with Hunter Buen, politics and government major at Pacific. Take a listen. How is it going? All right, hold on. Let me just. Oh, you got the setup too. Nice. Yeah. Well, well all right. I was wondering what that microphone in the background is always for, dude. So I actually started. Let me just look. I'm sorry about the name in the bottom. I'm using my mom's account because she works for the Clark County School District. Um, and so uh she um she has the account where you can like do it unlimited time so oh i see okay but yeah i use it so this mic it might sound a little shabbier than than the other mic i usually use so what happened was i needed a uh the mic i usually use in this setup is a um it's a newer mic but basically uh it uh it needs an adapter to go into the apple computers yeah and um I left my adapter in my house in Forest Grove. So uh, yeah, I'm going to have to use sense. my old one. But uh, mm. for all the viewers out there, just introduce yourself because I know you and everyone from Pacific knows you, but or in the politics classes major and everything. But introduce you, say your major and everything. Yeah. Uh, for all the viewers out there, my name is Hunter Buen. Uh, I'm a political science student at Pacific University, a senior this year, I'm planning to focus on political activism in my career. But I also have a pretty stochastic set of uh, things that I'd like to do with my time, one of which is podcasting. So I'm glad to be here. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, that was something I was going to get into is that you were trying to start a podcast. And uh, actually, f- funny enough, uh, many people have told me that I should have you on the podcast. So when I when I said that, um, when I asked you to be on, uh, it was from countless events of people trying to have me get you on basically. So Rob in our class, he was like, dude, you should have Hunter on your podcast. You guys, he always, you he's like the only person who talks besides you. And I was like, you guys don't even know you're not even in socialism with us. And then, um, I don't know if you know who Matt Kimball is. He's also a political science student. I think he was in our constitutionalism two class. Yeah. Um, he also said I should have you on, but, uh, yeah, so it's it's good to have you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought that it would probably lead into uh, politics, which it will, because that's both of our um, majors. Do you have any minors? I don't have any minors. I started off as journalism in the first couple of years at Pacific, but transitioning because I realized journalism is kind of a dying uh, career these days. So politics fits a little better mm-hmm. with what I like. Are you from uh, Oregon? Yeah, I grew up in Hillsboro. I uh, lived here all my life. Um, still live here, in fact. I uh, never really lived in Forest Grove, never really lived on campus. Uh, living at home has been a fantastic opportunity for me to save money. So that's what I'm mm-hmm. doing. Yeah. Um, so, I, I mean, you heard a couple of days ago, you might have known from past uh, me saying in classes, but mm-hmm. I'm from Vegas. And um, right. and the person who lives with me, Dion, he's a psychology major in Pacific, but he, he lives with me and um, he's basically my brother here in uh, Nevada. And he stayed here because of... Uh, the money situation, I had to go back because of football, but they basically were like, uh, Hey, like you're going to save a ton of money if you just stay at home and do like remote classes. And he was just like, I don't like, I would love to go back, but like, I don't see the need for, to go back for one class and spend all this other money. So I totally understand. Like, I don't know if you, if it's the same deal because you still can't have, did you go to any in-person classes this semester or no? This semester? No, I decided to stay home completely. Um, mm-hmm. I have a part-time job as well as a cashier. And I figure since I'm interacting with so many people on a regular basis at that job, it's probably best that I don't mm-hmm. take whatever it is I might get at work uh, to campus because yeah. I know they're trying really hard to stop an yeah. outbreak. Yeah, I only went to creative writing to my art credit. And it was like, mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe 12 people. And we were all spread out. And we went into little groups. Like It wasn't mm-hmm. even like like Tuesdays would be us and we'd be in that uh, the 
underneath the UC, the it's almost like a multi-purpose center, you know? Yeah, the MDR. Um, yeah, yeah. And uh, so it's like 12 people in there. And then we would, on Thursdays, we would separate into groups of four, three to four. And so it wasn't even, I think we were the only group that was in person. Most of them were on Zoom. So I was just like, because I live, I live in a house full of athletes. So I'll, Matt Kimball, uh, I don't know if you know who Kenyon Harris is. And then um, this other kid, Max, who's, uh, mm-hmm. he's a his major's really long, but it's basically environmental law, but Pacific made a certain strand of environmental law that's called like eight different things. So we all live basically, um, I don't know if you know where the, like the, the lumber, uh, the lumber mill is next to campus. About par lumber or the, yeah, par lumber. Yeah. 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 So, uh, we live down that street. So it was just like, Mm -hmm. it was, and especially since I had to be on campus because of football and everything, like I was just like, might as well just go to one class. It gets me out of the house and it makes it easier not to like, I mean, not that I skip classes, but it makes it easier Mm -hmm. to not skip classes when you're in person. And that's, and that's something that I've, I've uh, seen through zoom. What are your perspectives about zoom and and everything classes only? Yeah. Uh, First of all, I don't like zoom as compared to discord. I think it's better, but I understand that it's a more professional uh, thing to do. Uh, Discord is usually a gamer thing. So I understand that, but either way, um, as far as online classes go, I I think for me, honestly, as a semi lazy person that has a very tough time paying attention sometimes, just having something else to do. Like, I understand that it's, it's weird to say like, Oh, I do other things during class, but really I I feel like it honestly helps my concentration to be doing something else, either just typing something or uh, practicing sort of absentmindedly uh, in a game that I enjoy or doing something other than uh, class actually helps my attentiveness. I find for most people, I'm sure that's not the case and professors probably don't like that. So I understand that in-person classes have a certain level of connection that you can't really get um, with online classes. And some people just say, if I can't have in-person classes, I'm not going to school. And I understand that perspective. But uh, for me, I, I really like it because I'm very relaxed. Uh, I'm also pretty um, introverted as well. And so just I'm fine being by myself most of the time. Uh, and again, like I said, it's it's good to have like multitasking available uh, at any time. Yeah. Uh, I, I, you're, I mean, granted, this is your, I mean, obviously I haven't really seen you in uh situations outside of classes we've had a couple classes together now uh mm-hmm. i think the history one that was the role playing almost um yeah, I remember that. uh and then uh what was the other classes we took constitutionalism and then mm-hmm. this year um i wouldn't necessarily call you introverted obviously it's your own personal how you feel but uh you like during classes at least you're very outspoken uh i there's there's a there's a saying that goes around people you people say you remind them of a socialist bench apparel uh i like that i like that a lot uh you're very quick-witted uh you have uh strong opinions um that's a that's the reason i wanted to have you on the podcast is because uh well, during class, it almost feels like a podcast between me, you, and Seward, and Jimmy. <laughs> yeah, I know. But uh, well, that class, at least. And uh, but you have very strong opinions. And like, like I said yesterday in class, uh, for everyone that's listening, I would not consider myself a socialist to any means. But this class has definitely opened my mind a lot. And right. another reason I wanted to have you on the podcast is because I think we could, me and you, could get into a realm where we would have a 
civil debate about certain like, like aspects about our class and stuff like that. And then I would learn from you. And if I had something to say, you'd, you know, like it, that's another reason I wanted to have you on because I know you're, you're, I wouldn't say you're political. I mean, I obviously don't know you that well, but you're, I would say your political beliefs are different than mine. And I like mm-hmm. to talk to people who don't necessarily think like me because especially that's a lot of the reason I started a podcast is because I was seeing like, especially Joe Rogan, being a UFC commentator and a comedian, he's like, he's like basically being paid $150 million by Spotify to be the most intelligent, like to learn the most, you know, take three hour classes with Jordan B. Peterson or Bernie Sanders for that matter, or just all these Andrew Yang was on like just all these different minds, Jocko Willink, you know, he has everybody throughout the political sphere and just intelligence. Mm -hmm. And so I want to get into this realm where I have all different types of people, whether or not I agree with them just to learn and just to have a good conversation. Cause I think during COVID and during all this BLM and everything we're seeing, um, sorry about the rant, but we're seeing that, uh, um, you know, it's really easy to not dehumanize, but just, just to say that the opposition is an enemy, you know? And I don't think us as Americans should be viewed as that. Cause I, I've always liked the idea of just debating certain people, you know, and just learning because that's how else are you going to grow? Like I said yesterday, you're influenced by so many different thinkers and you can't really talk to them, but you can talk to the existing amount of people who have certain ideas, you know? What do you think about that? Like, what do you think about this opposition is like almost the enemy? Do you think that that's happening on, on not really like, and do you, do you understand it or do you, do you think it's, it's just like idiotic? What do you think about it? Right. Uh, the way that I understand, like uh, what I think you're talking about is political polarization mm-hmm. uh, in general, where I think we tend to believe, uh, mostly young people tend to believe this because I don't think we have a super good grasp of like what the eighties and nineties looked like. Um, so I can't say for sure. Cause I'm part of that category as well, but to us, it feels like uh, political polarization is at its worst, um, especially with what we're seeing. Uh, this year and all these attempts to sort of degrade uh, the rules, the rules of the game, as Seward would say, um, political polarization is definitely at a high right now. And people really are to the point where people are operating off of two different sets of facts. Um, and so I understand, like, you want to be able to hear everybody out and stuff like that. But I do think there is um, s- sort of like a, a reasonable amount of uh I don't want to say censorship, but like justified sort of reasoning that should come into account when, when talking about, you know, who do you talk to? Uh, who do you hear out? Things like that, because there's some things that you certainly don't want to, uh, to platform in my view. Uh, platforming is something that I've, I've actually discussed. It might be a good topic for us. Um, it's something I hear a lot of debate about online and I'm not decided on the issue, but I've heard arguments from people that say like, you should platform everyone because everybody has something to say, uh, something to add to the conversation. But then there's some people that say, Inherently, platforming certain types of people causes violence, uh, and it can produce negative results, and it's better to not do so. Very interesting uh, set of sort of arguments to have there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, you definitely see – I think a lot of the problem too, especially with these, these, uh, these podcasts that you're seeing, um, mm-hmm. not that I'm going to say that they're dominated by – uh, right wing thinkers, because I mean, right wing thinkers, because they're surely not. But you see a lot of like Louder with Crowder, the yeah. Daily Wire. Um, I wouldn't call Joe Rogan a right wing. Not necessarily. Yeah. He's kind of just a, like he's not really political. He's just kind of been forced into a political sphere. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He kind of just like talks to political figures, and that kind of makes him. But I right. would say he he's in favor of like he argued with Stephen Crowder for an hour and a half about oh, yeah. marijuana and, and Ben Shapiro on gay marriage and transgenderism. And so I wouldn't necessarily call him left wing, but people are trying to 
label him as um, right wing. Um, right. Yeah. And so, and, and he gets in trouble a lot. Like, why are you trying to give a platform to Ben Shapiro? Why are you giving a platform to, um, right. uh, you know, whoever. And, and that's an, and, and it is a dangerous, it's dangerous when you get into the aspects, especially about social media, because mm-hmm. I know, uh, what is, who is it? It's, um, uh, Jack Dorsey, who's the Twitter, uh, CEO. Jack Dorsey. And, uh, yeah. And uh, what's his name? Uh, Mark Zuckerberg. He, they're both on, I wouldn't call it a trial, but they're both being heard by the Senate right now about censorship mm-hmm. of the right, which is very odd because you would think of the right, the old right is the one who censors people, you know? You would think yeah. of like, when you think of like a conservative, like an old timey conservative, you would think of someone who actually censors people. And now it's like they're like being blamed. It's, it's weird. Social media is weird. It, what, uh, were you looking up something to, to say something? Yeah, actually, I was. Um, I was. I was thinking that you were trying to like present forth a small argument there, and I was looking for like a a clarification. Uh, but I think we agree fundamentally. Uh, what I was going to say is that uh, when I talk about people like Ben Shapiro or Stephen Crowder and stuff like that, I think they're perfectly fine to platform because uh, I don't think their views are outside of what we ought to be reasonably debating. I think that reasonably debating them is actually the best way to to refute their ideas because I think we should refute their ideas. Um, but uh, I know that Tim Pool has a podcast and he's very popular on YouTube, very uh, influential. And he recently had uh, Enrique Tario on, who was uh, the leader of the Proud Boys. That is somebody that I would have a harder time justifying um, having on the show as a left winger that thinks that a group like that has an inherent level of sort of violence to their very nature. That's kind of somebody did that I was thinking about. Yeah. And as far as Joe Rogan's politics, I totally agree with you. Um, I know that Kyle Kalinske has a show. Uh, if you haven't watched his show, it's fantastic. He's a left winger and he describes uh, Joe Rogan in a fantastic way, says that he's sort of like uh, the average American in a way. Mm-hmm. Joe Rogan pretty much thinks like an average American. And you know, I, th- I think that's very true, uh, that he's very reasonable. He wants what's best for people. He's very honest and open. And he has an incredible skill in general of hosting a show. Oh yeah. Like you might think, Oh, he's just talking to people, but really it takes a certain level of, of, of skill to maintain a super entertaining podcast with absolutely Mm -hmm. anybody that you talk to. And so I truly, you know, I'm jealous of his talent as a content creator. Um, I mean, you, you had me in class last year and like, I mean, I wouldn't call fancy myself as unintelligent i would say i i no, of uh, course yeah uh I, I would say my iq's up there but i have never had yeah. the ability to speak um like i mean i i've always been a loud talker and stuff but like just be able to formulate my words in a, in a manner that i want to in classrooms has been a problem for me mm-hmm. uh, especially in college classrooms because i didn't really try in high school because i i wouldn't say i fancied myself as a jock but like I was smart enough to get away with not trying. Do you under, do you know what I mean? I know what and, you mean. And, and I wish I wouldn't have done that because now that I'm up here, I'm um, in college. I'm like, I wish I would have, li- I like reading and I like learning a lot. And I wish I wouldn't have just pushed that away from me because I like to play sports. Like you don't have to be one or the other. Yeah. And I totally agree. A lot of my speaking like mannerisms and, and habits, especially have gotten way better doing this podcast just because I've learned from, I like, I watch a lot of Joe Rogan. I watch a lot of, uh, I started watching the Jordan B. Peterson, uh, lectures actually on, um, mm-hmm. on his podcast. Uh, and I just like, I'm, I'm trying to learn from people who are smart and I, not even necessarily like diving into what they believe, just like how they, how they, uh, speak. Like obviously Barack Obama was one of the best speakers that I ever lived through. He, he could speak mm-hmm. very, very, very fluently. Um, and that's another thing I wanted to talk to you about. 
So um, let me just finish my digression. But basically, yeah, of course. Uh, I, I, learning how to speak and everything, I, it's learning from Joe Rogan. And, and you were saying what you said was absolutely perfect when you said that he, to be able to have a five-hour podcast on Spotify as your first Spotify podcast and have millions of people listen to the entire thing is insane. You know, like mm-hmm. he's extremely talented and he is – the average American. And he, like, as much as people try to cancel him, you can't because like, he's just, he's going to tell you, he speaks his own truth. Like he speaks what he believes. And I I think that's, that's fundamentally important. But what I wanted to get onto was, I think it's, I, I said this in class. I don't remember which one, but I think it's almost irrational that we have a system. And you said something about, you want to, Actually, I do remember I said this in socialism because you, uh, you said something about it, and I was like, oh, that's a good topic to talk about. <clears throat> Sorry. I said something about the facts of uh, why do we not have an elite society, like elitist, a meritocracy almost, where the mm. best people are fit? Like why do we not have to get a degree to be a politician? You know, and, and most politicians probably do have degrees in political science, but not all of them. Donald Trump was the president of the United States, and I don't think that he should have been. You know, whether or not you believe with, believe his, uh, his, uh, policies are, or you're a Republican or you're a Democrat and you don't, and you hate him, uh, like, um, I don't think he should have been president. Like, I don't, I think that when, when you're looking back at history, I think like presidents before have been generals and they have been, but like the founders were very intelligent people. Like obviously George Washington was a general, but James Madison, like was probably one of the most smart like one of the most intelligent people of our, of our history. So what do you think about the idea of like, that we don't need a degree to be president and, or a Mm -hmm. politician in general? Do you think that, like you said, is a fundamental problem in democracy? Do you think we could go in that way or you think it's going to be the same for all, all time? Right. Um, It's a fine line to walk. Uh, Say we pass like, let's turn this into like a straightforward metaphor or uh, um, hypothetical, I should say. So if we say, we're passing legislation right now that says uh, you, in order to be a politician or in order to be a, a public servant, you have to have a major in X. That could be like, you know, a public service major or social work or political science or whatever it is. Um, you, you are required to have this sort of standard uh, to do the job. I think that's a fantastic thing if you think from like a Socratic point of view or, or an aristocratic point of view, point of view because these philosophers said you really need to have a foundation of humanity and in the way that societies work in order to govern a society. It it makes logical sense. But the other end of that is you may not always have um, that type of person. And it it might be that uh, the right type of person to lead a society doesn't have access to that kind of education. So say if this does happen and the society progresses to a point where say elitism becomes a problem, uh, like a very negative uh, impact on the society. You have only maybe rich people getting access to higher education. Um, if equality, inequality becomes so um, extreme in that sense, then the only people that are going to get degrees in political science or sociology or whatever it is, the only people that are going to be qualified to have those jobs are people in the upper echelons of society. I don't think the inequality is at that point in the United States, but in a hypothetical scenario, you could make it so that you lock out the same type of people that we might need, somebody that understands the plight of the poor or somebody that comes from very humble beginnings um, that might be necessary to lead uh, a society that is humanistic Mm -hmm. towards those type of people. And to an extent, I think this 
is exactly what I was talking about with Seward. Um, when I was, when I said, uh, you know, I don't think education is the end all be all. And, and mm. a lot of social democracies like to say, like the Sweden article we read, like, like to say it was. And I think there's very vast ranges in IQ in just anyone, you know, and people are very intelligent. Um, like once you reach a certain point, I would say most people that are in college are probably 125 above. I mean, yeah. And intelligence, yeah. keep in mind that the IQ scale is just one measurement of intelligence. No. Yeah. And Multiple there's, isn't there, there's like verbal, there's pictorial. Cause I would say an artist, like a natural artist, like my friend, Oliver Driscoll, I don't know if you ever mm-hmm. seen my, um, my artwork of my, I did. Yeah. He, he, uh, he drew that and he's, he's also painted. Um, so if any, uh, I always plug him on my podcast, but listeners, if you want to go check out O'Driscoll, Oliver Driscoll's um, Instagram page, his uh, fabulous art. There's this one he has that's of a drawing of a tiger. It's impeccable with like a photograph. Like it, mm-hmm. it looks like you took a photograph and then you edited the photograph. It doesn't look like you drew it, you know? And, and I think whether or not his IQ, um, quote unquote, uh, for the listeners is... 135 his his artistic creative iq is off the charts you know and so i think there you, you have to look at someone there's vast dumb dimensions um this is another thing i wanted to talk to you about there's vast dimensions that you're allowed to succeed in and you could be intelligent in especially in a place like uh the united states um and so i think before i would have taken this class i would have said that is a fundamental thing of capitalism right and I would have said I was a fan of capitalism. And now I would say that I'm a fan of capitalism, but not the capitalism that the United States has. You know what I mean? Um, and I, I would, and so he, what do you think about the fact that we, that there is innovation and you can make it in any aspect of life through capitalism, especially in the United States, but that it creates this unimaginable inequality that we see. Um, would you say that innovation and dimensions of success are only to, um, because we haven't seen them through socialism or communism, but would you say that that is an inherent thing of the capitalist market? Or would you say that, there's an entirely different system that we could create in America that we're pushing forward that no one has seen before, like a new social democracy that's in between that is a little bit, but you know, like, are we always creating what we can make or is it just capitalism, socialism kind of got to merge them? You know, is there something else? That's my question. Right. Uh, I think I know what you're saying. So basically the way that I grasp it is, is, are we going to be able to find something new or are we only going to have to imitate other societies? And really, is that going to work? Because many of them haven't in the past. Um, I think that ultimately, um, all we really need to do, uh, in my view for the United States specifically, is to just emulate other countries because I think other countries have done it better. Um, we don't have to go full revolution if we don't want to. The only real thing we have to do is catch up to the rest of the world. Uh, meaning European countries, because these countries are objectively the happiest in the world. They're objectively some of the most economically prosperous. And in general, people love to live in these countries because they're extremely safe and kind to all of their citizens. You get paid maternity and family leave. Um, You get a much higher uh, minimum wage. The competition is also sort of hampered by regulations. And those regulations are what prevents people from being thrown out on the street without any health care or any access to medication or you know, a, a political disenfranchisement, any of those things, 
those are basically gone. People look to the United States and laugh at just how ridiculous we are in many ways uh, because we, we're so anti-government in this country to an extent that we don't trust the government to do almost anything. And sometimes the government needs to do something, especially in a large country like we have, where competition doesn't have the ability to solve every problem. And maybe we can expand on that. Uh, you need the government to do some things like healthcare, like I would say. But I also wanted to expand uh, on what you said previously about IQ. Um, I've heard this said by a couple of streamers before. Uh, IQ, the IQ test only really measures what the IQ test measures. Um, I think people put a little bit too much stock in the idea of IQ when really it only measures one thing, which is what the IQ test measures. It's hard to say that that is your intelligence quotient. You know, that is how smart you are or how dumb you are is based on this single number because human intelligence is vastly complex. And so I think, you know, and I think you would agree with me when I say that we probably put way too much stock uh, in IQ. And so that's when, that's why when people say like there are IQ differences between the races and stuff like that, it doesn't mean much of anything to me because the IQ test only measures one specific thing. And it's hard to say what that one specific thing is. Yeah, and IQ has a very I wouldn't say a grasp, that's a little that's a little too hard of a term, but it has a hold on um arrogance in a sense. Like people who are who are very extroverted and have a high IQ tend to be more arrogant than their introverted intelligent parts, whether or not the introverted is uh, more intelligent or not. I don't know if you believe this or not. I just I just feel that way. You know, you see the, Yeah. Um, I would call myself a little arrogant sometimes. I get a little out of my my shoestrings when I'm talking, just because I like to hear the sound of my own voice. I feel like sometimes, um, mm, but I I wouldn't say I'm I'm the smartest person who ever existed. I wouldn't call myself Socrates in the sense that I I need I need rewards in favor of I mean rewards instead of death, you know, or leaving. Mm. But, you know, sometimes I get, I get trapped um, in my own words, in a sense, you know, and, I, and I, I've, I really think about what I just said. I'm like, do I actually believe that or I'm just, am I just talking about someone else's point of view, you know, because I read it. And, mm-hmm. um, and so I think you really just, you reach, that's not a word, you reach a certain intelligence or I wouldn't even call it intelligence education is a better word where you're like, I actually don't know anything. And I, I try to say that to Sewer when he's like, well, what have you, has this changed your point of view? And then I told him, I was like, I'm just confused now. Now I know, I realize that I really don't know anything and I need to read a lot more because I, 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 um, so like I said, I was pretty hostile to socialism and communism from what I did read, you know, of the Soviet Union and everything. Cause I was very, I, I have been very grabbed by like, authoritarian regime so nazi germany grabbed me when i was like seven eight you know i I read Mm -hmm. about hitler and stuff when i was like seven eight not like obviously insane stuff but i would like watch videos and stuff Mm -hmm. and then as soon as i learned about stalin and like mao i I started learning about them and then so they just grabbed me and i only really saw the negatives and now reading about it i understand the negatives and so i was always attributed stalin everything to to Marxism and Marx and I hated Marx and I didn't even read him, you know, and I would listen back to my first podcast that I did, which wasn't even that long ago. It was maybe March, April. And, um, I sound like a fucking egghead, <laughs> you know, like the things I'm saying <laughs> to, to people, I'm like, you don't even believe that second off. And you just are saying things that you've heard before. And like, I feel like I'll probably think that way when I'm about this podcast one day, but it, I I mean I like you're saying this thing about intelligence and I'm thinking what even is intelligence because like 
realistically, like we don't even know really like anything that we want to know. Like, why do we die? Why do we live? Why are we conscious? Why am I sitting on Zoom talking to you? You know, we don't, those are the questions everyone wants to know. We just can't answer. So we, we stoop down to human answers, which is like, we're all humans. Like we, we all want to be nice to each other. We just argue about which is the best way to be nice to each other. That's the fundamental question of which is the best way to live. I would say through most people on the right or the left, not the polarized, but I would say that most people are kind of right here. And the argument is, well, what's the best way to live here? You know, is, yeah, it, I agree. is it individualism, which is kind of what the right pushes is like, well, I get mine, then you get yours, you know, and then, then the polarized right is almost like I'm greedy. If you help me get mine, then you can get yours, you know, and then mm-hmm. the right is like, let's help everybody. But also, and then the polarized left is like, well, let's just, let's only help everybody. And, and let's like, it, it doesn't matter. Let's just give it to the government. And then you're both on both sides. You're like, if you go to the middle, you're like, I think the end answer is we're just trying to figure out the best way to live. What do you think about that? Do you think that mm-hmm. there's a, most people are in the middle or do you think most po- people are polarized nowadays? I think honestly, most people are in the middle. Uh, I think a lot of polarization just comes from the dramatization of it and not necessarily the fact of polarization itself. I think the people that you see marching in the streets uh, on either side of the spectrum are marginal uh, in terms of their views or are a minority uh, of people. Uh, the Black Lives Matter protests uh, exempted here because that was a gigantic movement that was pretty much unmatched in American history. That was all sorts of people of all different types. Yeah. But what I'm talking about is like uh, maybe like Antifa or the Proud Boys um, or the Boogaloo Boys, uh, people like Kyle Rittenhouse, I think are really on the fringes uh, in terms of their sort of stringent adherence to their beliefs and antagonism of others. So I think I do think most people are generally in the middle. Um, there's somebody I can't remember who exactly it was that said, um, if you're doing like a podcast or a debate or something, that uh, generally forty percent of people are going to be against you before and after. Forty uh, percent of people are going to be with you before and after, and about twenty percent of people in the middle will change their minds. But when it comes to the broader political spectrum, I really do think people just want an easy cozy life. They want everybody to be happy in this country. Um, And that's why I think that registered independents are on the rise is that people don't really necessarily think of themselves as a Democrat or a Republican. Uh, They don't, I'm sure a lot of people would agree. I don't know the polling on this exactly, Mm -hmm. but like uh, getting rid of the two-party system, I'm sure is very popular um, because people don't like to think in terms of that binary. They like to think I am independent. My views vary a lot. And really, I just want what's best for the country. I'm not necessarily blue or red. Hunter, that's perfect. Give me two seconds. I have a bunch of questions for you, but I have to use the restroom real quick. All right. No problem. Give me three seconds. I'm not. Yeah. Okay. Sorry about that. Uh, that's all right. I was just like, you know, uh, I have a bunch of questions, but it's not going to come call out right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but, oh, there was a question I had on the tip of my tongue and I lost it. Uh, what was, what was the last thing you said? Not like the entire thing, but like the last few words. Right. Um, I had said that I don't think – I think most people just want what's best for their country and themselves, mm-hmm. and they're, they don't necessarily think of themselves as red or blue, which is why independence are on the rise. Yeah, that's, that's what I was thinking. And I agree with you totally. Uh, there are so many – uh, independence on the rise. When I was, uh, when I registered, when I was like 18, I registered as an independent because my dad is kind of independent. 
Um, even though I'd kind of say he's a little leaning right nowadays, just cause, uh, just, I don't know. He's just getting older. Um, but my mom's very, very polarized left. Like me and my mom getting yeah. vast arguments and I would say I'm leaning left. Like I wouldn't call myself leaning, right. I'm just, like I'm in favor of all like human rights. I think that anyone should be able to get married. I feel like women are pro-choice, should be pro-choice. I mean, like, I, I mean, I am pro-choice. I think everyone should be pro-choice, but I also am not really in favor of using it as a con- contraception. You know, I'm not really in favor of like when you're like a uh, like an older Abortion couple. Abortion as contraception. You mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah like, of course. Like use condoms first and birth control, even like right, yeah. mainly con- like, but. Like you just like, oh, I got pregnant. You know, like I don't really like that, but like, like there's a lot of things that we don't understand about a women, like women's bodies being men, you know, and that I don't really feel like it's my choice. You know, I've I've grew up with a sister and a mom. Like like I didn't have any brothers. Like I mean, Dion's basically my brother. He's been living with us since I was in like seventh. I mean, eighth grade. Um, so like I didn't really when I was younger didn't have a brother. I just had an older sister. So like I've always, you know, I like I've always had girl best friends. Like I, I love women. So I just feel like I don't really know your body. Like I have a I girlfriend right now. <laughs> I do love women. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh I have a girlfriend right now and it's just like I don't really feel like it's my choice. I do feel like though, when we were reading in constitutionalism too yesterday, um not yesterday, but last year, mm-hmm. um, when they said that some states you don't have to tell your husband, I kinda I, I, I don't really like that. Cause I feel like you should tell your husband you know like you don't you should maybe you should be forced to but i feel like if you're gonna get an abortion in a, in a marriage it's a unity you know i would feel like if you're gonna get married it's a unity whether or not the sex is and i feel like you should tell your partner you know right the only problem is if you push that to legal the extenuating circumstances might yeah. come into play with like, like abusive husbands stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, you don't yeah. want to get into that you know no no and you don't and you don't and that's what you're like ah, but i feel like if there's not an abusive husband you should tell him yeah you, know? you, you ought to tell your husband don't tell him if you're if he's if he's gonna hurt you but please tell him yeah. if he's a good guy uh and i feel like the majority of guys are good i there are a lot that are not but i feel like the majority of men are are, are good i would say um yeah. but here's what I have to say to you. Obviously, are you are you a Caucasian majority? Majority, fifty percent, yes. What is your the other fifty percent? Uh Hispanic as well as Native American. Oh really? Okay. Yes. So I'm basically all German. I'd say like I'm eighty mm-hmm. something. I did uh twenty three and me a couple um this summer. Or okay. maybe I did it for I think I did it for Christmas and I got it this summer. So mm-hmm. I'm a majority uh German and then I have a, a bunch of French and like uh swiss in me and then like i'm about one percent north african so that's about me nice but mainly white uh but so my family came here my great 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 my great 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 grandfather immigrated here with my great 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 grandfather uh they immigrated here in about 18 late 1800s so i'm about a fourth generation weirs which is it, it it's honestly kind of surreal because matt kimball as i i uh i uh mentioned him earlier his seven-time great-grandfather was one of the founders of the mormon church mm. <laughs> so wow. we're on yeah i was like and he had been he had been here since like the 1600s and it was I would, I would suggest you to go and find a grave if you know any of your grandparents who passed away uh, or great-grandparents because um, it takes you back your lineage. And it was cool to see where, like, people lived and stuff, you know? Right. Uh, did you look up something again, though? I was just writing down notes. I like to write down things that I mean to say um, later on. 
Uh, I was I was just writing down that uh, it was International Men's Day yesterday. If you didn't know, uh, men are cool, men are kings. Uh, I think we should appreciate them. And I was just going to say that like uh, sometimes men are underappreciated as fathers. They think like, oh, uh, if men ever get a woman pregnant, they never want the child. Obviously, because they never mean to. But that's that's not true. Um, I think most people would agree with that. But anyway, uh, as far as lineage goes, I really don't know much uh, about my extended family. For the most part, my father was always very closed uh, about his family. And he grew up um, sort of culturally repressed uh, in a way, which I think really influenced his politics um, and then influenced mine, of course. My dad is uh, pretty left-leaning in the way that I am, Uh, in some ways more so, in some ways less so. But uh, he grew up um, in Southern California as one of the only Hispanics in an all-white school uh, in a very white part of Orange County. And um, at that time, his parents, uh, or his mother specifically, she was uh, from Mexico, she didn't want to teach him Spanish, even though she spoke it fluently, uh, and pretty much only that for a long time. She didn't teach it to him because she thought it would get him bullied in school. Um, My father was bullied in school, inevitably, just because he looked very different than anybody else. Uh, And eventually, when he had a knife pulled on him in school, um, luckily his parents were well off enough to put him in a private school for some time. Um, But it really influenced, I think, just his his views uh, in general. He, as a result of that, sort of had a visceral reaction um, to dominant white culture, I think. Um, Not to a point that he hates white people. He married one. But uh, just he understands uh, racism and and uh, class conflict to an extent that I think really influenced his politics and then eventually it influenced uh, mine as well. He and I actually watch many of the same uh, podcasters and streams these days. That's awesome. Um, obviously not the knife being pulled out. Awesome, yeah. But it's awesome that you like uh, know that about your father. Um, my dad's pretty white. Yeah. He, he grew up in <laughs> Iowa with uh, four brothers and one sister. He was the second to youngest, uh, played football, everything. And then he moved to, um, so he's the district. He's, uh, basically the head of all school psychologists in the mm. Valley of Clark County. So, um, my, I would say my dad is one of the only people that I've ever met who has my, my intellect because obviously he is half my genes. I've had, yeah. genes, but is just like so much wiser than me, you know, like I mm. might have, like you would, if you take a balanced test, and who's like um got a higher IQ, like I don't know who would have one a higher one, but say I did, um, he'd be way smarter than me. Like my dad is probably the smartest person I've ever met in my entire life. But mm-hmm. he is so closed. Like I like he's like he's like he's like the normal, like he's just a if you saw my dad, you'd think white dad. It's that's <laughs> that guy. But he uh he like and he hates talking politics because he just hate like he just like he hates politics. And I'm mm-hmm. like, well, that's what I do all day, Dad. Uh, and he's, mm-hmm. he's like, well, that's good for you. But uh, he's like, we talked about it for an hour. I'm done now. Me and my dad are he he he's I I don't know how to call him. He's he's his own person, but he's very like, he's taught me a lot in my life. Mm-hmm. But I think there's something about a father especially like in your situation in my situation where just like half of me is you and and then you you almost like like not that you don't want to be your mom but like you're just like it's a dad it's a different to be a man you know and like they teach you how to be a man and like what's different like and i think growing up in this like situation i think we should like i think we should like i i like there's some people who like because there's 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 bad things on both both ends of the scale 
I, I just don't think that it's the right to say that all, all mask and not that I'm not that I'm saying that all like the toxic masculinity, sorry. Um, like, um, I don't know how to say this toxic masculinity push, I mm-hmm. guess is that all men are toxic, but I don't think it's, it's good to say that masculinity is toxic in the sense that I think that we should be learning how to be a good man. Like being a man is a good thing. You know, they're, yeah. they're like, like, I loved how you said, um, like men are Kings. Like they are. Um, and we should be saying that, like we should be teaching men how to be real men, you know, and defend what, cause men are aggressive, more aggressive. And that's just on, that's just on biology. Like men are more aggressive than women. And, but they need to put that to something, you know, we need to learn, we need to have men who defend what's right, you know? And, and we can't like, I, like this, have you seen this Harry Styles stuff where he's like wearing a dress and stuff? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how I feel about that because again, like, sure, wear, wear a dress, but that's not what they're saying. They sh- they're not saying men should be able to wear dresses. They're saying that men should wear dresses. And I don't know if I agree with that because like, I, I wouldn't say the majority of men li- would like to wear dresses and that's okay. okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. We can I get wouldn't into say- that if you want to. Yeah. No, I would love to get into that because what I think it's saying is not that men should be able to wear dresses, which is fine with me. I liked how, I mean, I'm a big young thug fan and his Jeffrey album is in, he's wearing a dress. That's fine. Um, artists have always wore dresses. You know what I mean? Uh, David Bowie wore a dress. Um, Prince. Prince wore a dress. Yeah. And that's a different, that's a whole different, but the article that was written about um, Harry Styles was, was almost that men should, not that men should be more feminine, but men should in, enjoy their feminine sides, which is, I agree with, but also I think we should, we should be making, we should be influencing masculinity and being a man. And that there are good things so that we don't have toxic, toxic masculinity. You know what I mean? I feel like if you don't teach right masculinity, you get toxic masculinity. And so I think we do just Mm -hmm. as much as hairstyles is allowed to wear, wear a dress. I think we should, if a guy wants to wear a Viking, a Viking outfit with a deer in his hand. We should like push that too, because <laughs> sure. If it's more yeah. humane way of the deer to die, you know, what do you think about that? No, I agree. Uh, I, I think that like, you know, if somebody wants to dress up like Kratos, you do it. Uh, that, that sounds like fun to me, but I also think that if anybody wants to dress up extremely androgynously, if a guy wants to wear makeup, that's not my place to say. Uh, I think that we put too much stock in uh, gender norms because previous civilizations really just didn't have these same kind of standards. I think, um, as the, one of the podcasters I listened to the most, Vosh, uh, put it really well, uh, Vosh, I should say, he doesn't like being called Vosh. Uh, he said, um, if we generally speaking, uh, if we were to quantify or put on a scale of just like how strongly, uh, masculine norms were pushed in all of human history, the apex of that would probably be like the 1950s in the United States, because all the men wore suits, all day, every day, all the women wear dresses. They weren't allowed to wear pants and, you know, not to show ankle at the beaches and stuff like that. Um, we were very strict uh, on, on gender culture and some of that has ramifications today. But I think that, you know, you know I don't think that necessarily what Harry Styles, uh, and I think it was Vogue he was in, um, I don't think what they were trying to say is that dresses are the way men should dress. I just think that they're saying like... Uh, embrace who you think you really are. If, if you feel comfortable in a dress, you wear one, um, that stereotypes and gender norms should be broken down because it allows for a broader spectrum of people to express who they are. I know there's a lot of people um, out there who are transgender or non-binary or don't identify with the gender norms, and it's best to just let them feel comfortable in their own skin. And I think that part of doing that mm-hmm. uh, is sort of 
getting rid of the binary uh, dress that we have in society today. I don't think it harms anybody to do okay. that because Harry yeah. Styles is a very masculine man. If you've seen him in, uh, in other magazines, he's very masculine, you know? No. Yeah. Um, I like what you said. I am totally for everyone being who they are. And that's, that's a good mm-hmm. thing to, to be who you are. If you, I don't like anyone feeling I'm a big, um, it's upside down right now, but I'm a big uh, supporter of, so I'm wearing a, suicide hotline number basically mm-hmm. uh, preventing suicide i uh i struggle with mental health right um and so i uh i i i, I hate the idea of anyone taking their life too soon because they're they can't be who they are you know in families mm-hmm. or anything there's there's support you know i just um i feel like most people like now i wouldn't say most people i would see there's a there's a good majority of people of of young boys who are very masculine and and maybe necessarily don't have a a masculine figure to guide them along, you know. Mm-hmm. And so we, and I'm not saying Harry Styles shouldn't be put put on Vogue wearing a dress, you know. I'm just saying we should have things that influence masculinity. You know what I mean? Like it shouldn't. Right. You shouldn't feel wrong to post Aquaman on the cover of a magazine, <laughs> you know, like looking like a superhero. You know, like yeah. that is that that is something that is. Like maybe you don't look like that because who looks like that besides movie stars, but um, or athletes or whatever. But you know, yeah, we should like yeah. it's it's the idea behind it. You know what it means? It's like a man. You know? Yeah, and I you think know, that I, we do have a lot of that. I think that the yeah one of the reasons why uh, the dress was chosen, um, if we think very like big brain philosophically, mm-hmm. is because we get that kind of imaging all the time. I I could see an Aquaman poster at a bus stop uh, mm-hmm. in five minutes if I wanted to. I could see. Uh, any of the Chris's in Hollywood uh, with a 14 pack uh, in a Hollywood movie any day of the week, but you're not going to see somebody in a dress very commonly. And I think that, you know, part of the motivation behind wearing the dress is just to sort of break up the norm that we do have. I think that men get a lot of imaging that is very, very masculine. Perhaps some of that leads to uh, toxic masculinity. Perhaps some of it is a result of uh, a lack of a masculine influence. But I think that um, ultimately, a lot of voices on the right online are trying to reinforce culture war stuff. Um, and I think yeah. this is one of those things. I've seen people like Ben Shapiro uh, and Steven Crowder and stuff like that get so up in arms about the dress, um, saying that it's an attack on masculinity. But really, I think that's a that's an overreaction. Yeah. Um, I think it's it's really not that big of a deal to have this one piece of representation for breaking up gender norms and the value that, that, can, that can come with that for young people, mm-hmm. as opposed to the millions and millions and millions of images from Hollywood of hyper-masculine figures. Or hyper feminine, yeah. Or hyper feminine for that yeah. matter, yes. Um I agree. I agree most I would say most people are like masculine and feminine that are like men and women that like they're not Aquaman and they're not Yeah. Kate Winslow. Um, but they're like men and women right here. Like they're normal people. Um but yeah, I just I, you put it a good way. Ben Shapiro and Stephen Cutter definitely attack it. And I think to an extent, maybe not Ben Shapiro because he's an Orthodox Jew. Um, that's like his religion. But Stephen Crowder does it because he's a comedian in a sense. You know, not he's not a comedian, like he, but he is. His thing is comedy politics, you know? I don't find uh, him funny, but I know no, what you're I know, I know. You know what I mean? Like that's his, but he, I'm sure there yes. are people out there that are laughing at Stephen Crowder, you know? Conservatives. Um, Yes. Yes. Well, even just people laughing at him, you know, like I, I think Steven Crowder is, uh, Steven Crowder is a, is a good learning experience for me. I like, I like watching some of his videos because he is 
one, he is very intelligent, but also he's very polarized. So mm, it's like a lot okay. of, you know what I mean? Uh, but he is very intelligent. So I like when he argues with, with people, I like change my mind a lot because I like hearing concert because you know what I mean? Because I like, I like hearing other people's perspectives, but I also like, I like the entire change my mind videos, not the clips that he posts because okay. I like seeing what happens, you know? And there are a lot of conservative, but also not really conservative students who sit with him and i like their positions a lot better than what he's saying and i'm not saying steven crowder is a bigot or anything i'm not saying ben shapiro is a bigot ben shapiro i think they both are we, we might disagree most on uh steven crowder here i think you think so i don't think I ben think shapiro so. is a bigot i think he is oh, big time i would say he is <laughs> i think he is indoctrinated by the uh judaism i think he lives hmm. his life with the values of the judeo-christian like like it's like it's um like okay, let's 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 think of it like our socialism class. Um, what happened with Lenin in the Marxist doctrine is he thought it was science and he became intolerant. Correct? We could say that, right? Yeah, became intolerant of political I views think, that weren't like his. I think Christian fundamentalists like Mike Pence and also Judeo-Christian fundamentalists like Ben Shapiro become intolerant through yeah. their values. I think you could say it's the same thing. You know, obviously they're. Christians, though they're not going to genocidally kill somebody, but but I will say that um, they he be there's this idea that he he can't he can't listen he can't even be like give himself the ideology of a left because he's so Judeo he's so wrapped in the value of Judeo Christianity. So I think it's almost being indoctrinated by dogmatic dogmatism by anything, you know, believing that something is so scientifically true is, is, is dangerous in any sense. You know what I mean? Yeah. Here's what I would say to that. Um, what, what's strange to me is, and th this comes up a lot of the time when I hear people say that uh, Trump is a godly man um, or that pe people on the right have largely embraced uh, Christian values or whatever. Um, to me, it strikes me as odd because, and I know that you can have a, a varying interpretations of what Christianity really means to you, but it's strange to me that somebody that's so embedded in Judeo-Christian values ends up being so anti-socialist. Because uh, if you remember, one of the things that Seward had mentioned uh, in, the, in the beginning of the class is that the, the Torah is pretty socialist in nature. Jesus, mm -hmm. well, not Jesus, I should say, but... Uh, God struck down uh, two people for not sharing wealth uh, from the land. They thought of themselves as very communal because community was required to survive mm -hmm. uh, at that time in history. And uh, especially if you move up to Christianity, um, I, I'll admit I don't know enough about Judaism to say definitively that they should have been socialist for, or anything like that. But uh, Christianity is even more so, I would argue, um, because Jesus healed the lepers. Uh, he fed the sick. He turned water into wine. He did all of these things, feeding the poor. Um, there's a quote that I'm not going to get correct, but I'm going to try that was uh, from the Bible that said it's easier for, uh, I think it was a horse to fit through the eye of a needle uh, than to get into heaven, for, than for a rich man to get into heaven. Because they thought of rich men as greedy. Uh, the people that would hoard the type of wealth don't belong in uh, Jesus's heaven. So it's weird to me that people like uh, Ben Shapiro less so, obviously because he's a fundamentalist Orthodox Jew, but uh uh, Stephen Crowder, I think, I don't think that Stephen Crowder, as well as many Republicans and Donald Trump in general, I don't think that Christianity informs their views. I think what they do is they have a set of views and then Christianity, they sort of mix and match what they match, choose yeah. uh, to believe. Because I think that there are 
I mean, you could say that like uh, people from Westboro Baptist Church are just as much adherence to Christian Christianity as a Protestant, you know, at uh, Calvary Chapel down the street who believes in gay marriage. You know, you can selectively interpret what you want from the Bible, but that's why I think that it's not that Christianity informs their views, but it's that they use Christianity to reinforce what they already mm-hmm. believed. And to that point, I would say Stephen Crowder is definitely a bigot. Uh, I don't like him because I think his comedy career failed, and I think he became a conservative uh, talk show host because that's really the only thing he could do. Um, I I really don't like Stephen Crowder, and I think we could expand more on this if you'd like to. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, like not liking someone's not like that's we don't have to expand more on that. Uh, that's like that's in a that's you don't like him. Yeah, like that's fine. Like, well, I disagree uh, with him on almost everything. No, well. yeah. Uh, no, keep going. Sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you. No, you're not. Keep going. You mentioned uh, liking. Uh, change my mind and i like that you added the qualifier that uh, you don't like the clips that he posts because he, he generally does cut things pretty pretty badly there was a famous clip um a couple of years ago when i think he was still a reporter for fox news for a short time where he edited a clip when he was at a union rally uh and it was a clip of him being punched uh by a union member and uh, it went on fox news and he talked about it and how horrible it was that he was punched by a leftist as they called him he was I just remember that guy yeah but really it turned out to be that he had been attacking other people first and instigating the violence, and they cut that part out of the video to make Steven Crowder look better. So inherently, I don't trust Steven Crowder, and I like that you added the – again, I like you added the qualifier that he you know, kind of selectively cuts his clips sometimes. And Change My Mind to me is the same sort of Ben Shapiro thing where he gets a pink-haired college kid to come in and call him a racist and then says, wow, look at this intolerant left over here, you know? Yeah, and there are obviously there are intolerant left, leftists. But oh yeah, are, certainly uh, there are some. But there also are people who are very good on the left, and, and I would say that there are people who are on the right who are very good too. Um, a lot of uh, independent business owners who 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 lean who lean right, I would say, are most people who lean right on the right probably don't are good people. I would say. Um, now, if you're mm-hmm. and. and and here's where this is where I like to talk talk about it. You said we could and and in, in, indulge on the I don't know if indulge is the right word, but on the Steven Crowder aspect. But I agree with you that uh they're very polarized, you know. Um and I would call myself a Christian. I've grown up being Christian, but I also agree that people should be able to uh choose who they want to marry and things like that. Like so I was, uh, my dad's very Catholic and I don't know what he would say about gay marriage nowadays, but I would say that he would say that, um, he's very Catholic and he'd probably say, yeah, gay marriage. I don't know what he would say about abortion now. And you know, the Catholicism base, but I would say that my, my mom is just so far left and she's, uh, so my dad's Catholic. My mom's Lutheran, if you know anything about that. And I, I was baptized Episcopalian, which is pretty much fundamental, um, Christian, just Christianity, uh, is what George Washington and all them were. Um, but basically I, I would say I'm Christian, but like, if there's a problem when you just read Christianity, like it's truth, like it was written 2000 years ago by seven men in one building. Like it took all the stories from all time and put them together, you know, and it's a great book. And I think you can learn a lot from the Bible, um, so much, but I also think it's like, well, let's read it. Like we're going to read Socrates, you know, this is human beings. Like, let's not read it. Like it's God. Like 
I mean, I would say I believe in God and God is in the sense of spirituality and there's, there is something that I don't understand about the universe, you know? So, so I would say that that I believe in God and I would say that I'm a Christian because I like the values that Christianity holds like that uh, uh, to each his own, basically it almost sounds like a Marxist thing, but in a Christian thing, it says, it says, uh, love your, the golden rule, love your neighbor by yourself, you know, like, or, or, uh, uh, you, sh- thou shalt not commit adultery. I don't, I don't believe in cheating or anything. You know, I have a girlfriend right now. And if we ever had something where I feel like I was going to cheat or like I need to be done with her, I would finish it because I don't believe in cheating or I don't believe in murder and I don't believe in things like, you know, um, right. Yeah. And so I, I, I would call myself a Christian, but there's a problem when you start being fundamental with the Christianity, like anything, if you treat anything like a science that humans created, you are by definition creating intoleration. Um, I think I learned that the best this, this year by reading many things, listening to Seward. If you, if you by any nature stretch our nature, um, uh, if you by any nature create think of anything as a religion as or religion or um political theology or anything as a um science you are creating intoleration hold your thought i want you to answer me but i have to grab something real quick okay yeah no problem do you want me to you can answer and then i'll pause i'll answer oh, for okay. the viewers and then um i'll pause the recording when i get back and you can tell me again all right yeah no problem so the way that I think about it, um, for all of those that are listening, uh, is that Judeo-Christian values and being a Jew or a Christian or a Muslim or whatever it is that you might be a Sikh, um, that definitely has value in my mind. Being religious isn't inherently bad, and I should make that clear. Um, when I talk about people like Steven Crowder um, not being the type of Christian that I would like, uh, what I really mean is that I think that they use it to negative ends. Uh, I think that it's possible definitely to be a Christian of any stripe or a Jew of any stripe or again, any religion uh, and to see people as humans. But this is also why I believe in subjective morality. I think that morals don't come from the book that you read um, as your faith. I think it comes from within yourself and from a sense of humanity inside of you. And sometimes that can be reinforced uh, or added to by a religious text um, and that's fantastic. If you if you want to add uh, certain values that you think are good, um, you're totally open to do that. My view is just that Stephen Crowder, uh, in his additions to his uh, morality, if he had any to begin with, um, were negative. Uh, the types of things that he believes in uh, as a Christian don't square with what uh, many sort of Protestant or liberal Christians would believe and don't make a lot of sense given what Jesus believed in my mind. Um, there's a value in religion for sure. Um, but the way you use it can be very negative, like any dogma. Did you answer him? Yes, yes, I did. <laughs> okay, here's what I would ask you then. Mm-hmm. Here's here's the question that. So what happens when so you said that morality, the human morality, is where mm-hmm. you would decide this you feel like other people deserve other, like basically you would feel empathetic almost, or like this human morality, like 
to each his own almost, you know, like let's, let's do things together. You should have your individual nature, you, you should succeed and you shouldn't be in poverty. What happens when there are sociopaths like CEOs and things that raise you to the top who really don't give a shit at people, but are very successful. You know what I mean? What would we, how would you combat that without a religion? Cause there are probably are sociopaths who combat their ideology through religion. Right. When I mentioned subjective morality, what I was talking about is uh, the lack of objective morality, meaning that there is some set of rules that every human decides uh, and lives by. Um, That's what I mean when I say subjective morality is that it really comes down to individual people and communities. But in terms of um, not having, not needing religion uh, to guide one's uh, moral decisions, especially when it comes to people who don't have the capacity to make moral decisions, um, I think that that is either solvable or uh, preventable in many ways uh, without religion. I'm non-religious myself, in case you couldn't tell. But uh, to me, it seems like, again, uh, morality to me comes from something inherently human in us. It comes from uh, just like harm mitigation principles um, and pleasure maximization principles. And extending that to the broader community, what's best for my community of humans uh, and what's going to save us from harm and give us the most pleasure. Inherently, I would think that it's not necessary to have a religious text to teach you not to steal or not to kill because you wouldn't want to be stolen from or you wouldn't want to be killed. Um, and when it comes to like sociopaths or psychopaths, I think there are ways to fix that. You can have you know therapy and stuff like that, which doesn't necessarily have to be religious. Um, you can have medication, which doesn't have to be religious. Uh, you can have uh, rehabilitation or just community helping people. Um, doesn't necessarily have to be religious, but uh, religious tinges to those things can help. It just depends on the person, I guess. Uh, yeah. And so what would you say about the deterrence of law? So basically there's an idea that a deterrence of, of, uh, of the law uh, creates a moral binding of, of basically people not to do something. So back in the medieval ages, they would have – what the what's called the deterrence theory, which was basically the law would be a deterrent. So if you steer an apple, blah, blah, blah. And that, and that's basically a theory that we think now, and now we know that there are sociopaths and blah, blah, blah. And there are people just need to be in jail. But what would you say about that? Would you say that you need law as a deterrence? Or you think, cause I wouldn't say most people are naturally good. Like you're describing, I would say there's a vast majority of people who are malicious. You know what I mean? Like I wouldn't say a vast, like there are, there's a lot of people, 8 billion people. I would say they're even 1% of that, you know, like that's a lot of people who are malicious and I wouldn't say it's probably a little more than 1%. So what would you say about, the malicious aspects of humans because we know that people are malicious hitler stalin people nowadays you could even say donald trump might be malicious in a sense so like what would you say about people who are like there are malicious people who want Mm -hmm. how would you deter that without because christianity did it for so long and i don't think the social contract does it enough do you think it's just law and prison do you think what what do you think about that right yeah um i think it gets us to a very interesting uh, discussion point, which is a hierarchy of three different impacts of uh, law, be it religious or not. Um, and I'm not exactly sure which order to put it in, but maybe we can hash this out together or maybe we'll have a difference in views. But um, if we think about what law is supposed to do, uh, what our law is supposed to do to help a society, because obviously you need them unless you're a libertarian, in which case I disagree with you. Um, 
here are the three main things that law wants to do. And it's up for discussion, which comes first, second, and third. So here are the three things. Um, deterrence, like you mentioned, we want law to tell people, hey, don't do X, because if you do X, then you'll get Y, meaning either uh, mostly a negative thing, deterring people from doing bad things because of punishment. Um, the second is retribution, which I think is the most historically prevalent um, sort of factor here in that if someone does something bad, the broader community or the person affected needs retribution for what happened to them in order to feel good about it. And then finally, rehabilitation, which I think should be the first and foremost, uh, personally, as somebody who believes in more social democratic, more socially caring societies, I think rehabilitation, the third thing ought to come first, um, perhaps deterrence next and then retribution. Um, but I know that not everybody would agree with me and there's definitely a debate to be had there if you disagree with me. Yeah, it's tough because each indi individual circumstance or uh, crime that's committed is, because I started out as a CGL CJLS major, if you didn't know. Um, so two years of my life, uh, I was CJLS. But, but basically, um, each individual crime committed is one of those, you know, at the helm. So like you could say someone who murdered, who is a sociopath, um, number one would be retribution almost in a sense, you know, retribution would be last and then deterrence and then, and then, um, rehabilitation. Cause there's no rehabilitation for someone who's a psychopath. And then someone who's didn't want to murder someone, you would say it goes rehabilitation and then um, retribution and that, or, or, and then deterrence because they didn't even want to do it, you know? And so I think in each individual case creates another flip flop of those certain things. And that's why being within the criminal justice system is hard because they, they find drugs, especially so, so detrimental, which I just marijuana and, and psilocybin and LSD are just so not, you know, like cocaine crack. Okay. We'll talk about that later, but like, like created through the ground, psychoactive. Mm -hmm. It's so weird that the federal government is allowed to just tell you, you can't take them like mushrooms and psychoactive, like DMT features and things that create hallucinogens have been like taken through societies, like all the time. Like to think that we shouldn't take them nowadays in like small, like they're like, Oh, marijuana and psilocybin are seen to help mental health. It's like, well, yeah, humans have been taking them all of time. Like obviously us humans have like, have some like, tolerance to them like just like new generations is like we've been taking them peyote and everything they created ayahuasca out of two plants that are nowhere near each other in the amazon like to think that we don't know things about psychoactive things because we don't know any because we haven't studied them in the last few generations is when like we started getting to the community computer basically is like is is um idiotic in a sense so what do you think about marijuana and psychoactive drugs and things like that. Like what is your perspective? I'm guessing your last so you, but what do you think about them? Yeah, for sure. Uh, I'll cap off our previous uh, sort of point first and then move on to this. Um, so when it comes to deterrence, retribution and rehabilitation, uh, I, I think I agree with you that sometimes it depends on what the crime is or who the person is. Um, though I think broader perspective for thinking like uh, overall, I think rehabilitation should be valued first. I think that the U.S. justice system values retribution first and foremost, which is why we're one of the only countries left in the world. I should say um, one of the major first world countries, richest countries in the world that still has 
the death penalty, um, which I disagree with, um, which might tell you a little bit more about my uh, political values. But uh, still, each I guess they have they can vary based on the context. But moving on to uh, drugs, I think this is a really interesting discussion to have. Um, in general, the way that I see the history uh, of drug policy in the United States is like this. In the past, it used to be that we didn't like these things because they were reminiscent of cultures that we disagreed with, or they seemed strange and foreign to us and scary. Uh, what's, what's very immediate about somebody that is on meth, for example, is that they're out of their damn minds, is that they're potentially dangerous to themselves and others. Yeah. That's a very immediate side effect. And so your first thought is to say, don't do that anymore. And so I think that generally in the past, prior to the study that's happened on these drugs or prior to uh, social movements to liberate these sorts of things, it's been, these are scary and we should not allow that. And that's what we do for a lot of stuff. But I think that the reason that things like marijuana specifically, this, this is a very interesting example because marijuana really isn't that detrimental. Uh, it makes you laugh at Scooby-Doo for a couple of hours, maybe eat a lot more. Uh, but that's really all that it does. Um, it doesn't really, in, doesn't really affect you the same way that hardcore drugs like methamphetamine might. But I think the reason that it's still as seen as badly as it is in society today has a racial tinge to it. And the reason I say that is because uh, if you've read uh, The New Jim Crow, uh, for example, by Michelle Alexander, um, or there are other academic articles reinforcing this, um, the difference between crack cocaine and powder cocaine, for example... They're virtually identical, but uh, and they, you know they have the exact same effect on the user. But uh, crack cocaine is cheaper, and it's used much wider in poorer communities, uh, especially in communities of color, um, because it's easier to get a hold of. But powder cocaine, even though it's done the same thing, there is a disparity in how long people get put in jail uh, or prison based on which type of cocaine they had. And that th I think that tells you more about the way that our justice system prioritizes wealth uh, and capital, and it prioritizes white people to be even more, uh, even more uh, clear, is that uh, you can really see that there's a racial tinge to the way the drug policy works in the United States because of that difference between powder cocaine and crack cocaine. If you are caught with crack cocaine, as a person in Detroit, you know, from a family of color, you're going to get a lot more prison time than somebody who wears a suit as his job every day and has a little bit of powder cocaine in your pocket. And so along with that, uh, my ultimate conclusion to this rant here is that I think things like Measure 110 that just passed uh, in Oregon or Measure 109 for psilocybin, I think these, this is a fantastic way to go. As many memes as are being made about us, about you can you know go to Oregon and trip, it's gonna look like Rainbow Road, I think it's a fantastic thing to allow people, especially if you're like a libertarian um, of any stripe, you can be a libertarian on the left or the right. You just care about freedom if you are. I think that that's fantastic because you can do what you want with your life and the money that's being used after we tax all of these drugs um, and regulate them is going towards rehabilitation strategies or rehab centers or treatment for people that have drug addiction. And so focusing on addiction as a rehabilitation problem and in context, decriminalizing drugs because we know what kind of racist roots that has. That's why I think that liberation of these things and decriminalization or legalization of drugs is a better overall policy. Rant over. No, that was good. I was that I, I liked it almost everything that you were saying because I totally agree that there is you could see this racial racial tinge. And I think it's in, I think it's impeccable that you uh, 
that you look at American society with, with this understanding that like, what pisses me off more than anything is that like, I just wish we were done with it. And I think that's why I just like, I feel like I have to like argue on my behalf because like there are people on the left who will say, because I'm straight and white and tall and whatever the fuck that I just, my opinion doesn't matter. And I was like, well, that's not, can we get past this please? Like I get that there has been so much disparity for a long time, but like, let's create a straight white guy. Let's create when you are, the people are straight and white that they understand human equality. You know, like you can't, I, I don't, I don't like the idea that you can blame me for something that people have done before, you know, like, because like, I don't feel those ways, you know? Yeah. And I agree with that. You should, you should, um, you should, you should rate people on how they are as human beings rather than what their skin and group identity is. And right. I think that there's a big problem. This is, this is my, this is, basically the entire reason why I haven't joined the left, like the, like the left is because I think they value group identity. And I think you can help me with this. I think they value group identity. A lot of them more than they value individualism. And I'm a very individualistic person. Like I I see Hunter Bren when I'm talking to you on zoom and I see, Mm -hmm. I see Dion who's my, who's basically African-American and he, um, he's basically my brother, but I see Dion when I'm talking to him, I don't see him as an African-American, you know, I, uh, I see people as who they are, and I feel like there's an individual. I I feel like there's a group identity halt by the left right now, and I I I really just I understand wanting to like feel empowered by a group, but I feel like that's not the most important feature of humans, you know. And I I want to hear your side of this. Yeah, I understand where you're coming from. I actually sort of believed the same exact thing that you're talking about a couple of years ago. And the reason that I don't think I do anymore, and I think I disagree with you slightly here, um, is just because of my evolution uh, as a person to become more and more left, mostly as a result of uh, YouTube or streamers and stuff like that, and just sort of expanding my thinking on this. Uh, And this has moved me further left over the years. Um, But I agree with you. I think that like, uh, say, for example, th- this is said all the time that uh, as a white person, why am I responsible for like the sins of my great grandfathers, even if they were participatory in slavery? Why is that my fault? And I think that's sort of a mischaracterization of what most people are saying. And I think it mostly comes from right wing sources. Um, I think that like accepting the framing that the left, quote unquote, is focused on group identity as a whole is a little bit out of context because I think. Uh, the loudest sector of the left is this sort of cancel culture esque uh, type, blue hair type. You know, that's who we that's that's who right wingers think of when they think of the left. But I think that doesn't represent a majority of people. I think that's really the the vocal minority in a sense. Um, so when you say I shouldn't be responsible for the sins of my grandparents, uh, or like I, why can't we move past um, the group identity and uh, just focus on equality because I here and now want equality just the same as you do. I think that's totally fine. And I think what's really changed my thinking on it is not that I am responsible for those things or that I am to blame in any way, but really it's all about accepting the concept of privilege and privilege is a very charged term. And I understand that Uh, people on the right really cringe when they hear privilege. Uh, But I think that it, it really is a thing. And as long as you accept um, that a certain privilege exists. You, I mean, you can have privilege for anything. You can have privilege for where you were born, um, for what color you were born as, or what income your parents had, or 
what neighborhood you're in in the city or any, anything like that, including race and class and gender and uh, sexuality and gender identity. As long as you accept that there is uh, privilege in some of those things, I think that's really all you need to do. You just need to accept that, you know, perhaps I am privileged in some ways and perhaps I'm disadvantaged in other ways. Um, and only then can we really focus on uh, equality because we have to accept the terms of the argument, which is I am at somewhat of an advantage in many ways. And that's kind of the way that I've thought about it. So that I don't, I don't have to accept slavery, but I do have to accept some level of privilege. And I would agree with you almost a hundred percent. I think what you're saying about privilege is, is exactly how I, I would say privilege, <laughs> privilege, privilege. Um, the only thing that I start to think of is, is have you ever have you ever taken an anthropology class at Pacific? I have not. No. So in my anthropology one hundred and one class when I was a freshman, they basically make you um, color in a thing is like basically privilege is like where you're at. And if you're in the center, you're very privileged. And if you're on the when you have outside and you have like there's like eight sources. And if you're on the outside, you are basically underprivileged. And my whole argument about this, I was on the I was insanely on the on the center you know uh, yeah, which is fine true. and i was like well you designed this and like you could flip this and say that someone else is privileged in any way that you want to arrange arrange this and you arrange this i think it's that you can't arrange a privileged cycle you have to just understand that some people are privileged in some aspects like maybe um like and here's my whole thing about race the thing that argues me the, the thing that burns me to my core about race is that racism is caused by race disparity. You know what I mean? Like, I think that we were going so well, like in the two thousands by like, just like, I think before this entire social media movement that's going on right now, I think we were doing well on creating kids, like kids, like people are having kids and understanding that other kids can hang out with whoever they want not based on race and then race became an argument again and maybe it has been an argument for the whole time but i feel like it became worse since we've been in college at least maybe 2016 um and i think that that's a problem because if you when you talk about race it becomes way more problematic and i think that race doesn't give you an okay racism gives racism causes you to have a privilege or not whether or not the person you're dealing with is racist or not, but race doesn't give you a privilege on the grand sphere. Like if you look at everyone of all time, race doesn't give you a factor. Like you're not better because you're something maybe, maybe in America, if you're African-American, you're better at uh, basketball or, or football or something like that. But I wouldn't say that race gives you like, there's no IQ band on race or there's not like a height sphere on race or anything like that. Racism gives you a, like a step up or, you know, do you understand what I'm saying? Um, oh yeah. I, see, I, I, don't, I think it's racism versus race. Racism is a privilege. Like there have, there are people who are racist. So therefore if someone's racist dealing with me, I'm less likely to be, um, uh, detrimented against, but, uh, race, me being white in the grand sphere of things doesn't give me advantage over someone who's African-American because someone could be smarter than me, more athletic than me, better looking than me, taller than me, strong. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. What do you think about that? Yeah, I see where you're going with that. Um, I'll address what you had said previously and then get back to this uh, racism point. Um, 
what you mentioned with like the college course stuff in the anthropology class, I totally agree that like uh, college professors usually aren't very good at expressing what privilege is supposed to mean. It's really supposed to be much simpler than that and putting it in a, in a color in worksheet, uh, you know, with, with colored pencils and crayons that doesn't, that's very ham fisted. And I think that's all really dumb. Um, trying to express privilege in that sort of way by calling people out doesn't really work. Um, I, I think that there's a better way to do that. I may not know exactly what that way is. Um, perhaps it's just saying, hey, you know, privilege exists uh, and just accept that. That's fine. But uh, yeah, uh, college professors are not very good at explaining these concepts. Um, as well, you mentioned that uh, in the 2000s, things seemed to be going well. And in 2016, there was kind of a turning point. Um, I disagree with you with what that turning point was, but I do agree that there was one. Um, in the 2000s, I would say that, you know, I think that we've just progressively gotten better uh, as the years have gone on in terms of race. I don't think we've had a regression of any kind um, in the past four years or anything like that. I just think that certain types of people have been much more vocal about what racism means to them. And I think that that has sparked somewhat of a backlash uh, to many people who felt like things were okay because they were in a space of relative privilege in a sense. So even if you were a, a well-off um, African-American in the suburbs, uh, usually like, usually they don't think this sorts of thing. It's usually white people that think this sort of thing, but like, uh, they say, you know, things seem to be, have been going well. Slavery has been gone for a long time, but it's that racism is more invisible, um, this time around and it's still invisible and it pervades uh, society at more than an individual level. It's just harder for us to see. Uh, and I think that has everything to do with, uh, right-wing media, uh, with right-wing politicians and just the, the frame of discourse being so pushed to the right that, the the typical line of the Republican is, oh my God, racism is over. Why are you still harking on it? Because they're trying either a maliciously to cover up the fact that they are they are doing racism still, or are just ignoring it. Um, and I think that it's racism still exists and is still very pervasive, but it may be just more invisible um, than we know. It's harder for us to see, and so we might think it's gone away. And in 2016, when people became very vocal about it and dyed their hair crazy colors and SJWs and all that, that was just a spurious moment of seeing all of that. And perhaps those people weren't very good at communicating it. I can agree with that. And much like the college professor uh, at Pacific, they just weren't very good at telling you what they're trying to say. But I think that their ideals um, are good at a fundamental level. And the final thing, uh, moving on to race versus racism, like you said, um, if what you mean by racism is like race in context, then I totally agree with you. Cause like, we totally agree. And this is good that like, you don't have any advantages based on your race. I heard somewhere that there's uh, more genetic difference between two people, two randomly selected people in Africa, even if you see like South Africa, which is very white. If you took somebody from Zimbabwe and somebody from Cote d'Ivoire, they would be more genetically different than someone from Cote d'Ivoire versus somebody from Kansas. They look very, very different, but genetic differences aren't just racial differences. They're much more complex than that. And so obviously you don't have any advantages just based off your race. But I think that race in context, if that's what you mean by racism, uh, race in the context of how our society functions definitely can give you a privilege. Race gives you no privileges as far as, you know, my skin color is superior to yours. But in context, my skin color has certain advantages because of the way our society is constructed. I'm less likely to get pulled over, for example. I'll get less time for a marijuana charge, for example. And I think that just recognition of these basic things uh, is super important, even if the communication is horrible sometimes. 
Yeah, I think that's exactly what I was saying. Is um, yeah, race. Uh, I think you were saying in a context doesn't give you a um a benefit over someone else, but racism in a context does. Uh, basically, like me and you're driving down the road, uh, or let's say me and Rob were driving down the road. I feel like Rob would get pulled over more than I would in a, in. In an extent, I would say in certain areas for sure, maybe in certain yeah. areas, no. Um, but it still is prevalent that there are still are racist people. And but I don't like so here here's my thing for you. Is I don't think the answer is racist towards white people. Oh, and of course think, not. Though. And I think that becomes a um I think some people think that it is. Uh there was a video posted um on YouTube uh, a couple of days ago. And it was basically saying, what are, what are white people superior at? And they were like tuna sandwiches or tuna, tuna casseroles and things like that. And it was like, yeah, that's funny. It's kind of funny. I like that. But also like, don't do that because you don't want someone else that is hashing out at you to go, what are black people superior at? Well, watermelon, you know, you don't fudge. You don't want that. And I, and, and while they think it's funny and I think it's funny, this isn't the right time at you for it, you know? There will be a time when someone can say, a white person can say that an African-American or a black person is better at fried chicken and a white person is better at tuna sandwiches or tuna salads, but this is not the right time. And I think you need to understand context. And I think a lot of people think that they can say things about white people and it's kind of making it better, but it's actually kind of making it worse because there are people who are white who find that very offensive and then will hash out. You know what I mean? It's the same thing you can say about racism in a sense, you know, like there can be people who are being racist to African-Americans or black people and they are, um, and they will hash out, you know, it's the same thing. Don't be racist against the op- opposition. Let's just like, let's fix it all together. Let's fix racism. Let's, let's, let's understand. Let's, let's point out what is racist, who are racist and let's exercise them from, Amer- uh, from uh, society. And then once that's gone, we can start being comedians again and we can start making jokes about it. But if you're not a licensed comedian and you're pointing out videos, ba- just posting that and not posting the other sign, it that's, just as bad as just being racist, you know? What do you think about that? Yeah, I agree with you, although I'd add a caveat there. Um, racism towards whites uh, is not the answer, but I do think that is a minority of the people on the left. I think that like SJW culture in peak 2016 mode is really overblown by right-wing sources, so it's, it's, it's good to be careful of uh, letting their framing uh, dominate um, the way that we think. So I think that it's very overblown. Most of like the, uh, the, the green haired SJW we think of quintessentially, they're not very common. Uh, and I think they're the minority uh, of the left because left-wing ideologies are very I- inclusive as opposed to exclusive uh, in nature. But yeah, I agree. Like being uh, racist in kind isn't going to help. But when it comes to comedy, um, I think that there is a small caveat to be made here. And I think it's the difference between punching up versus punching down. I'm sure you've heard this before, where it's like, you don't want to punch down at uh, you know, someone in a wheelchair, make fun of their wheelchair, something like that, because it, it doesn't feel right. You know, Why would you do that? It, it feels mean. Uh, whereas if you're punching up toward uh, somebody that's in a relative position of power, like Donald Trump, um, it's almost as if they can take it more because they're in a position of relative privilege in a sense. Um, so I think there is a difference between punching up and punching down. So when you're talking about uh, making fun of the races, uh, it's also important to keep in mind, you know, it might not land with everybody uh, saying, uh, 
white people like uh, saltine crackers or something like that. That's it might land with some people, you know, it lands with me, um, but some won't. But I think that there's a difference between like being racist towards black people within the context of a system where racism towards black people was once and to an extent still is part of the way society functions versus uh, making fun of what was the dominant culture and continues to be the dominant culture for a long time for people who can quote unquote, take it, if that makes sense. No, that does make sense. Um, uh, that's honestly, Hunter, you've, you have a lot of good things to talk about and, <laughs> and uh, you have a lot of good points. I would love to have Snell on the podcast. That's one of my goals. Oh, that would be amazing. But um, I'm going to have to dip out of here because I have to go to a dinner. But thank you for coming on the podcast. Of course. I was glad to be on. Um, yeah, uh, I'm going to have you on again for sure because this was a great conversation. We didn't get to everything. Uh, mm-hmm. It's probably about two hours, maybe a little under two hours. Close um, to that, it, yeah. will be on two, it will be on Spotify. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you have Spotify, but download it. Um, uh, I will definitely send you the link before I post and everything. So you will have the ability to send it out to whoever you want. Yeah, um, for sure. Congrats on a thousand downloads, by the way. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. yeah that's a uh, thousand people downloading my podcast is, is, is amazing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It was a great, uh, only 20 episodes in too. Uh, yeah. and 20 episodes in, I got on Spotify too. It was a great, uh, nice. human of mine, but, uh, thank you for coming on so much. Uh, I would love to have you on again. We had a great conversation. Um, everyone give it up for Hunter Bruin, uh, politics and government major at Pacific. Um, he'll definitely be on again. All right, bro. Thank you for coming on. All right. Thank you so much, Colin. Yeah. I'll see you Monday. Probably. Probably Monday. Yep. See ya. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that was episode 21 of the WTF with Colin segment of the Colin Weir's podcast. I am now on Spotify and I will be for every episode. If you guys like this, give it a like, share and a download. I'll catch you guys next week. Goodbye.